This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. One of the things that I was surprised that uh, George Santos disagreed with me on is the decision by President Biden not to do a Super Bowl interview. Because what Santos said is pretty much what Biden said, which is that, look, the game, you know, this interview used to be kind of lighthearted and about sports. Now it's become very political. We see so much politics. People need a break. I disagree. I think the tradition of a presidential Super Bowl interview was is a good one. And I think it's interesting. I think it's a great opportunity to give people that may not typically pay attention to election issues an opportunity to hear what the president is doing or at least their spin on what they're doing. And what I had said on Thursday morning was that I think the reason that President Biden wasn't doing it was because either he or his staff isn't comfortable with how he'd come across during one of these interviews. No less an authority than James Carville, the raging Cajun, Democratic strategist, man who helped get Bill Clinton elected back in 1992. He agreed with me. He was on uh, Michael Smirconish's CNN show on Saturday. This is what James Carville said. Well, when you don't accept a Super Bowl interview, you, you're, I don't know, pulling averages, you're three points down in a two-way. Uh, it's the biggest television audience, not even close. And you get a chance to do a 20, 25-minute interview on that day, and you don't do it, that's a kind of sign that the staff or yourself doesn't have much confidence in you. There's no other way to read this. He's exactly right. I think that's the only way to read this. And I think those concerns became much more pronounced Thursday night after this uh, Robert Herr report was released in which it basically said one of the key reasons they weren't prosecuting President Biden is because they don't think he, you know, is capable of demonstrating that he had criminal intent, that he would come across to the jury as an elderly man, uh, well-meaning but with poor memory. And, you know, like if someone is too senile, and he did not use the word senile, I'm paraphrasing, but if someone is too senile to stand trial, are they really competent enough to be president? Now, some people may say yes. Being president's not about having a good memory. Some people may say, and look, uh, President Trump, as uh, you know, he's pushing eighty-two. We've seen several instances of his memory fading as well. I, I think whatever you think about Trump's memory, there's no doubt he certainly has a much greater energy than President Biden has seemed to have in his public appearances, but. You know, both of these men have demonstrated some serious memory lapses. How much is due to age? How much is due to some other force? How much is due to the rigors of the campaign trail? I don't know. That's why a Super Bowl interview in which President Biden came across well could put some of these concerns to rest. Paul Begala, who was a big part of that 1992 Bill Clinton campaign as well, and now he's a CNN contributor, he talked about, and now he, again, he's a big Biden supporter prominent Democratic strategist, he talked about his reaction to that Robert Herr report 
and what they said about President Biden's mental faculties. Look, uh, I'm a Biden supporter. I, I, and I slept like a baby last night. I woke up every two hours crying and went to bed. Uh, this is this is terrible for Democrats. And anybody with a functioning brain knows that. Uh, somebody that uh, that I do know pretty well, not pretty well, but I, I have watched his career pretty well, is Ellie Honig. I first met Ellie Honig when he was a, an assistant U.S. attorney. He was prosecuting John Gotti Jr. By the way, some news on the John Gotti Jr. front as well, if, the time, if time permits. I'll talk about that. But now he's a prominent legal analyst for CNN. This is what he had to say about the legal aspect of the her exoneration of President Not Biden. Not at all, Michael. I respectfully take issue with the use of the word exoneration. And exoneration means somebody has been cleared of any wrongdoing. Think about, for example, the Central Park Five, people who were falsely accused of a crime they had nothing to do with. This report is more like an inch away from an indictment if you look at it. And you highlighted the key passage in your opening there. The third sentence of this report says essentially, the evidence showed that Joe Biden willfully retained and disclosed classified documents. There is a federal crime for willfully retaining sensitive national defense information. And if that rings a bell, it's because Donald Trump is charged, indicted for 32 counts of that exact federal crime. But what her does, and this is fair for prosecutors to do, is he says, we need to look at the other factors around this. And he says that in his judgment, that mitigates against an indictment. That's called prosecutorial discretion. And there's perhaps some debate about how we exercise that. But that's why he comes out at no indictment. So I really do think it's at this point, I don't see President Biden staying in this race. I don't. I don't. And I think there's if you listen to what people are saying loudly now, it used to be just them whispering about it. There is very little confidence. And that press conference that President Biden gave on Thursday night, which I guess was supposed to reinstill confidence in in him. I think it did the opposite. He looked um, unhinged. He looked angry. And he again was having a lot of difficult trouble with words and other things. He snapped at the CNN reporter and used the word press when he meant to say people. He seemed not at all to be cool, calm, and collected. And I think, if anything, it reinvigorated concerns that people have about his cognitive abilities. Daryl Issa was on the Katz and Cosby radio show on Thursday night talking about what he thinks this report means for the presidency and the nation. First of all, I think it's sad for the president's family, and it's uh, it's sad for America at the same time. Uh, we've had three years of a president so diminished that not only does he not know about his crimes, uh, but he doesn't, as was stated, he doesn't know about his son and other leaders. And he's been going around the world meeting with global leaders who all see that. Uh, even uh, our former speaker, Kevin McCarthy, had said early on that, uh, you know, he was he had good days and bad days. And he said his good days aren't good. Uh, and he was one of the few that got to meet with the president at all. He's been isolated. So, you know, I heard the discussion about the 25th Amendment. Uh, it's really too late for that. The damage has been done. I I don't know when, but I can't see President Biden running as a Democratic nominee this year. Cannot see it. And when I've talked to my friends that are Democrats, the question always inevitably becomes, well, then who would run? And I give this long list of people that would be happy to come step into the breach. And there's always someone on that list 
that some Democrat will say, oh, yeah, oh, I'm excited about that person. That person would be a great candidate. There's no excitement about President Biden. The only enthusiasm that I see in voting for President Biden is people that don't like Trump. And if you listen to, because uh, I read more of this Robert Hur report on uh, on Saturday, if you listen to the interviews that Biden, President Biden, was doing with the ghostwriter, he knew this was classified material, and he took it intentionally. Right, this was not a situation where what it's kind of seemed inadvertent at first. No, I mean, if you listen to the conversations or read the transcripts of the conversations with the ghostwriter, he's saying that the, the there's classified information downstairs, and that will bear him out, that will prove him to be right on Afghanistan. So he understood what he was doing, at I mean, at the time. I mean, I'm not questioning Robert Hur's decision not to indict, but it's a, it is a very damning report, both for his actions and for what, what Robert Hur says of his memory. So I think it's going to be um, a matter of time before he's replaced. Now, let's say he's not. Let's say it is indeed a Biden versus Trump rematch, which at this point seems the most likely scenario, right? Okay. If that's the case, given how polarizing President Trump is and the very real concerns that people have about President Biden, I think this is the best election since 1912 for a third-party candidate. I don't know who will kind of take the top spot as the lead none-of-the-above candidate. But I suspect there's a good chance it might be Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who I kind of like. I'm not ready to vote for or endorse him yet, but if the election were held today, I could see myself voting for him. And I was really interested in watching the Super Bowl yesterday, and they had, it was the only political ad they had, there was a Robert F. Kennedy Jr. ad. It was not paid for by his campaign, but it was paid for by his super PAC, American Values, American Values, which is headed by Tony Lyons from Skyhorse Publishing, who's been a guest on this program multiple times. He came in studio recently when he took over this, this role and sat with me for an hour to talk about what he was doing, why he was doing it. I wish he'd run some ads on this program, but okay, we're not the Super Bowl, not yet anyway. And I thought it was really interesting. So there's a, a visual component to it and there's an audio component to it. The visual component is a bunch of black and white photos of Robert F. Kennedy Jr. in action, uh, doing governmental things, giving speeches, being activist, but they look like they could be from 1960. And then, so it's just a bunch of rapid fire, I don't even think it was a 30 second ad, it might have been only a 15 second ad, but it's a bunch of rapid fire photographs of Robert F. Kennedy Jr. And then, this is the audio that you hear while you're seeing these photos. want a man for president who's seasoned through and through a man who's old enough to know and young enough to do well it's up to you it's up to you it's strictly up to you american value 2024 is responsible for the contents of this advertisement that was a 30 second spot so based on what they were saying a 30 second spot was going for that was seven million dollars that the super PAC spent on this that's an enormous amount of money an enormous amount of money and i do wonder how effective that's going to be in moving the needle. None of the other candidates had 
ads on the Super Bowl. And I wonder if this is going to help him. You know, because honestly, the Super Bowl is the one thing that everybody watches, including people that don't vote. And is this going to be playing on that nostalgia, particularly with older voters? Is this going to be helpful in getting voters to take Robert F. Kennedy Jr. serious as a as a candidate? I don't know. I think it's very interesting. I've never seen I don't think there's ever been a third party or independent candidate that's run a Super Bowl ad before. And that way in which they did it, where they ran it, mimicking a 1960 JFK ad, I thought was really interesting. If you're not familiar with that ad, this is an ad from 1960, John F. Kennedy for president. Kennedy for me. president who's seasoned through and through but that's a doggone season that he won't try something new a man who's old enough to know and young enough to do well it's up to you it's up to you it's strictly up to you do you like a man who answers straight a man who's always fair we'll measure him against the others and when you compare you cast your vote for kennedy and the change that's overdue so it's up to you it's up to you it's strictly up to you So as you can hear, it really is the same song. The only difference is the original spot was a minute, whereas the RFK Jr. version that uh, we played for you was 30 seconds. So they used a condensed version of this song. And then the disclaimer at the end, American values is responsible for the God of the Zen. They had kind of an announcer with an old-timey effect on his voice be the recording. Is that going to work? I don't know. I don't know, but I thought it was really interesting. So... um, I you got to give them credit for trying out of the box things. I'm curious, you know. I look, I would, I my whole life I've worked towards this. I'd love to see America be a vibrant multi party democracy. Failing that, I'd love to see America have a third major choice in every election. Unfortunately, um, since I've been working to make that a reality, we've actually fallen backwards because now we're not just in a choice where people have two choices we're not just in a position where people only have two choices increasingly at the congressional and the state legislative level we're in a point where people are living in one party districts one party districts where there's not even major party opposition in a lot of the case obviously in the presidency there's always major party opposition and i think it would be great if people didn't have this feeling that they were throwing their vote away by voting for a third-party candidate, which is one of the many reasons I've always been an advocate for ranked-choice voting long before it was fashionable. All right, uh, Robert Wall is going to be here in just a minute. You know who Robert Wall is? Robert Wall is probably best known from the uh, TV series Arliss, but he's done a lot of movies and stuff over the years. Batman, um... Bull Durham, if you're a fan of baseball movies, done a lot of great sports movies over the years. But the interesting thing about Robert Wall is, one, he's very funny. He's been a comedian and done some other things. But he knows more about sports than anybody I've ever spoken to. I'm not joking here. And you'll see and you'll judge for yourself. But this is not an actor who's commenting on sports. This is a sports fanatic that happens to be 
an actor. So we covered the halftime show and the commercials with George Santos. We will cover uh, the game itself with Robert Wall straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by granger for the ones who get it done when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Everybody is still talking about that barn burner of a game yesterday. The big game, the Super Bowl, the granddaddy of all pop cultural events, the granddaddy of all sporting events. And there is nobody that I would rather talk Super Bowl or anything sports related with than Robert Wall. Now, I know what a lot of you are saying. Isn't that the guy from Arliss? Isn't that the guy from Bull Durham? Frank, don't be foolish just because he played role having to do with sports that doesn't make him an expert in sports any more than it makes Al Pacino an expert in the mob or Clint Eastwood an expert in the Old West. That's not the case when it comes to Robert Wall. I have heard Robert Wall not only on this program, but when he was doing his own nationally syndicated radio show on uh, Westwood One, give the most insightful Interesting analysis when it comes to all things related to sports, but he's able to make it very understandable for people that may not be listening to sports radio 20 hours a day. And he's always able to come up with something original, which when you do consume all this sports related content, a lot of times that becomes a uh, difficult thing to find. So very pleased as you welcome back to the program, actor, comedian, writer, and the person probably best known for the HBO series Arliss, which you 
can now watch all of the episodes on Max. And this is one of the few shows that, well, I don't know, one of the few. It's one of the shows that holds up just as well now as when it debuted a few decades ago. Robert, thanks so much for joining me on the radio. Uh, It's a shame the game was so boring, huh? How do I follow that introduction? My God, thank you. I mean, I appreciate it. Great game. Isn't it nice to actually have a piece of entertainment, and let's call it a piece of entertainment, where you go to see the blockbuster, the big event of the year, and it's just a, you walk out of the theater saying, that was worth the money. <laughs> right. You know, it, it's like, that was a good story. It's not a Tyson you know, fight ending in 43 seconds that you paid $50 no, for. And, and there's really no GOAT, per se, in the game. Uh, there really is. The guy missed an extra point, but then he kicked two 50-yard field goals. And then he, and, and by the way, both times he left the field, as with Purdy, you know, people are going to say about Purdy, all I know is that when he left the field at the fourth quarter, after driving his team down the field for, for a score, they, were, they had won the game. The defense right. gave it up on the last drive. In overtime, when he drove, he drove his team down the field for the go-ahead in overtime. And again, the defense did it. So when he left the field both times, he was a Super Bowl champion. Mm, mm. Did you have a rooting interest one way or another? Were you pulling for San Francisco or Kansas City? I, uh, I, I didn't have that. Here's the, my, my sister who died two years ago oh. was a Kansas City Chiefs fan. She loved Patrick Mahomes, as she was called. She, so I, that's, that's one thing. On the other hand, I really, really like San Francisco's narrative a lot. The fact on two levels. One is the whole Purdy story is quite remarkable if you think about it. Here's a guy who, but who we all know the story about him being the last pick in the draft. But what most people don't know is that this was a failure of scouts and of group think about what a quarterback looks like because he was, uh, you know, Brock Purdy when he was a junior and a senior. Was senior was the first team all Big Twelve quarterback both years. You know, you'd think somebody would have taken a flyer on a guy like this right. in the fifth round, the sixth instead of picking a cornerback from Alcorn A and M. Do you know you can take a shot? I mean, a guy's a two tie. You know, it's like they he didn't he didn't fit their profile. But the narrative is great. And above that, when I say the narrative is great. How many organizations, and let's talk about the one, the one that uh, we could basically point to the Jets, and the Giants to a lesser degree, but the Jets for sure. But how many organizations would have traded up as they did and gave away about three first-round draft choices to draft Trey Lance as the quarterback about three years ago? And finally, within two years, come to the conclusion that we got a guy we got here in the last round. We're going to go with him. And the coach is beyond it, and the front office is behind it. That takes balls. That, you, didn't see, you ain't seen that happen in New York. You know, you're not. I mean, to oh, you see the, the opposite, guy, the opposite happening in New York. Right, exactly. So the fact that the organization could admit a mistake, the fact that you have. An organiz- a very public organization admit-, admit a mistake on top of having this great narrative about the kid. So I love that. And I don't want to hear that they can't win the big one. Well, you know, again, if at the end of regulation, one second left on the clock or whatever, when they go kick the field goal, if the guy misses the field goal, <laughs> they won the big one. 
know, it's like if the guy missed the field goal, they won the division. Right, exactly. It's so happen chance, you know. Um, anyway, but I thought it was incredibly entertaining. The stars. Um, I I just thought it was a really good game. No no penalty, you know. Made a you know there was no totally egregious call that changed the outcome. Uh, I, very entertaining. Uh, no doubt about it. First of all, I'm sorry about your uh, sister passing away. I didn't know that. Um, just in terms of the game itself, do you think it was a mistake? Obviously, people are going to be second-guessing every decision because it was such a close game and it did come down uh, to the last 30, 40 seconds or so. Was it a mistake for San Francisco to take the ball first in overtime? Obviously, the playoff rules now are each team gets the ball, even if you score on the first possession. Would that have changed anything? Why? Why was and, and the reason being it being a mistake was why? Well, I, I you know, I, I don't know. I, I uh, my uh, uh, my inbox is flooded with uh, a chorus of critics second guessing every uh, you know every selection. I guess you know the thinking is, um, and I guess a lot of college teams do this that you when the other team gets the ball first, even if they score, you kind of know what you need to do on that drive. Whereas you know, I mean, maybe they would have done something differently other. Than the field goal, had they uh, gotten, had they chosen to kick instead of receive? I'm just asking you the question. You're the expert here. Um, let's take. Okay, let me pose another part to the answer. Then I've just watched my defense just give up on the last. I had we had the Super Bowl one, and I watched our defense just fall apart in the last two two minutes and allow the team to come down and tie me up. And we're fortunate we didn't lose. They're gassed. They're gas right. as I see. Mm-hmm. So let, I want my offense, which then went down the field and took about 10 minutes off the clock, right, and put you in a position to succeed. Okay, so now we're ahead three points. Okay, defense, you've just had 15 minutes of rest. Go there and stop them when we're Super Bowl champions. They didn't do it. Yeah. Uh, Talking with Robert Wall, uh, you could still see Arliss if you're getting nostalgic hearing his voice. It's on uh, HBO Max regularly. Pat Mahomes uh, leading the Chiefs to the second consecutive quarterback. Chiefs are now the first uh, team to repeat in a couple of decades. Mahomes with, uh, I I believe, now three uh, three Super Bowl championships, joining the likes of uh, people like Troy Aikman, Terry Bradshaw, and obviously uh, Tom Brady. There are already folks... You mentioned there was not a, a goat, but there are already folks mentioning Pat Mahomes in the same kind of a category as a Joe Montana or uh, an Aaron Rodgers. Is that is that a little premature at this point, or is that merited? Well, if I was Patrick Mahomes, if somebody put, I'd be insulted if you had Aaron Rodgers on my side. Aaron Rodgers can't shine the shoes of, uh, of Patrick. Aaron Rodgers has been to one Super Bowl. One. One. And, and winning a division, that and he, he could, he's only been one, which means only won that championship game. And by winning a division every year, that made the Jets, made the AFC East look tough. <laughs> I mean... I mean that division that he was in. Well, so putting aside the with, putting aside Aaron the Rodgers, Rodgers comparison, Aaron Rodgers is the, he's a Hall of Famer, no doubt. He's a Hall of Famer, but don't compare him to the old time. He's not in the top ten. Of so, so what about Pat Mahomes? Where do you think he ranks in the pantheon of great quarterbacks? Right now, I mean, he right now you're watching as good as it gets. I mean, you still got he hasn't. You, know, you got to put Brady on because it's a number of championships. I would think, and a guy like Otto Graham, still, you know, but, but he's got three already. He's been to the what has he been to four and five. It's of them? incredible. It's absolutely so, incredible. I mean, he is. 
he's special. I mean, he's really special. Where do you put him? You can put him as the best quarterback in football. That's where he is. He's the he's the Hall of he's the Hall of Famer now. But by the way, you know how hard it is to repeat. You just saw this right. is the first time back to back. And I mean, in any sport, do you know the last National League team that repeated as World Series champions? Uh, you, you got me. Was it was it the uh, the Philadelphia Phillies in, in the in the 30s? I don't know. The Cubs, the Cincinnati Red, the big Cincinnati Red machine. What was that 74, 75? Uh huh. Uh-huh. That's fifty years ago. Wow. Uh, no, it, it's that's I, how hard it is to repeat. Wow, that's tough. I mean, that's how, I mean, until the Mets do it in the next two years. Oh my goodness! I, I, I please, uh, yeah. I uh, the devil is uh, getting ready to collect a whole bunch of souls in order to make that dream come true. Hey, um, what about Andy Reid? Obviously, you know, when you did your radio show, uh, one of the favorite hours that I uh, that I ever listened to, not just on your show but in general, was when you had uh, Dan Luria and Judith Light from uh, the show Lombardi in for an hour or two, and you talked not only about the show that they were doing, but about Vince Lombardi and a bunch of, uh, yeah, you, you and Dan Loria both had a, a lot of really interesting insights. I don't think most people question that Vince Lombardi is the greatest coach of all time, even if Don Shula has more wins. Andy Reid, after this, where do you put him on the list of great NFL coaches of all time? Well, he's definitely up there. But here's the thing. Here's the thing when you, you talked about coaches. They're all Hall of Fame coaches. Do you know, out of, I think, the 30 or so Hall of Fame coaches in the NFL, NFL Hall of Fame. Do you know how many of them didn't have a Hall of Fame quarterback? Uh, I'm, I'm going to, my guess would be zero. Uh, three or four. Mm. Parcells didn't have one. Joe Gibbs didn't have one. I think Sid Gilman, believe it or not, didn't have one. There's more, somebody else. So, I mean, how do you become a Hall of Fame coach? Have a Hall of Fame quarterback. <laughs> Shula, Don Shula had three of them. He had Marino, Greasy, and um, uh, and Unitas. I mean, you know, stop it. That's, you know, you won't have a Hall of Fame court. But which brings me to this point: Do you know what what is Bill Belichick's record without? Uh- Tom Brady. It, it's very weak, which is why, and I was going to ask you about this, it's why I think he has to come back and coach and find a, a way to show that he can win with a quarterback not named Brady. Well, he wants to coach because he wants to coach, and mm. it's like you're directing movies. You want to direct a movie because you want to get out there and be a director. Uh, that's what you do. Um, but, you know, the Brady has a – whereas – where do I put him? Well, the most underappreciated coach, in, I will argue, is uh, Joe Gibbs. Joe Gibbs, just told you that number, Joe Gibbs won three Super Bowls with three different quarterbacks, That's, yeah. none, of whom, wow. none of whom were in the Hall of Fame. I didn't realize That's that. That's pretty remarkable. Every other, every one of these guys, uh, you know, who won, they had, like I said, without the, the couple of I mentioned, they've had Hall of Fame quarterbacks. They've all had Hall of Fame without a Hall of Fame quarterback. You know, it's like, that quarterback's too important. You saw the quarterback... Partly the reason this game was terrific, we had really good quarterbacks. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. Um, You know, by now, I think people are listening and they're seeing that it wasn't hyperbole, me uh, talking about how insightful you are when it comes to sports. You have been in a lot of sports roles over the years. Obviously, uh, Arliss and, you know, I mentioned Bull Durham. How did that happen? Did it just happen by coincidence that you happen to be associated with sports-related projects, or did you seek out, in the case of Bull Durham, and obviously I know you had more of a creative input when it came to Arliss, did you seek out the opportunity to play characters that showcased areas of life, in this case sports, that you're interested in? 
Uh, it really no. My agent put me up for an audition for Bull Durham, and if you uh, and if and if uh, I would strongly, strongly suggest and recommend Ron Shelton's book, The Church of Baseball, uh, which is one of the best books, both about uh, and being an athletes and and about screenwriting, and about sports and playing baseball, and about screenwriting and directing and, and the storytelling of how everything got made and really? what happened. Oh, so what? And he talks about my audition for Bull Durham, which let's just say I was all over the place. And after it was over, he said, that's the worst audition I've ever seen. Hire him, <laughs> hire him immediately. Um, and then we shared this love of baseball. So, and so we became close friends and, and that's how the idea for Cobb, cause we both knew the story and knew the source material. And, uh, and Arliss was, that was that was my idea, sure. you know. So that, that was my so, and uh, it was a world I knew. It was a world. I two worlds that I knew. One is I knew a little. I knew about you know the business of sports world, and my family had a business, family business, so a totally different business, produce. But I saw how a business runs and how decisions get mm. made in a business. So uh, it was a private business too. It wasn't a public business. So that has those two loves uh, involved there. Uh, Blue Chips, again, came because I, um, because Ron Shelton had written the movie and I was at a reading with, uh, with Bill Friedkin, uh, the director who just passed, and uh, the reading went just as a favor. And afterwards it came up, he said, I want you in the movie. I said, sure. I, you know, lo- I love that film, Blue Chips, and it's one that I don't think has uh, gets its just due when uh, a lot of the great sports movies, especially collegiate sports, are being uh, are being talked about. Um, by the way, obviously, I know you're proud of the work that you've done with Arliss and the fact that people are still watching it on Max um, decades after it's been off the air is telling about what a great show it is. I do wonder, you've done a lot, right? You've done a lot on camera, you've done a lot on stage, you've done a lot behind the scenes. I have to think every day of your life when you're walking down the street, someone shouts to you, hey, Arliss. Does that get grating at times? Very rarely ever happens. I can count. Arliss is not, unless I am at a sporting event. Uh-huh, okay. Because it was on HBO. It's not a network show. It was on HBO. What I do get was much more is uh, is the, I have a, the first movie I ever did is a movie called The Hollywood Nights, and it's become a cult movie. It was sort of like American Graffiti meets uh, okay American American Graffiti meets Animal House type of thing about a car club, and it has become such a cult that I played the ringleader of the group, a character named Nubom Turk. And that I get called. I'm really? Like, hey, new oh, mom. That's why. Yeah, that I get. I'll tell you who gave it to me. One time I was in Yankee Stadium. I forgot whose seats I'm in. And what was the governor of New Jersey's name? He's the guy who took over from somebody. Oh, Dick Cody. Yeah, yeah, that's him. He he comes over. I'm sitting there with his two buddies, and hey, Nubal, no, you ain't this is Nubal. By the way, Nubal's this is this Nubal's claim to fame was that he could fart to the song Volare. Okay, so hey, this is Nubal. What a what a pisser. You know, it's like I, I mean, I, I kept thinking this is the governor. Okay. And all I could think, all I could think, it was Mel Brooks and Blazing Saddles when he's the governor. Yeah, go, go, William J. Lepetamine. Yes, that's terrific. 
<laughs> but, so I did stop more for that. That's funny. I would never have guessed that. I I, uh, I know Dick Cody a little bit. Next time I run into him, I'm gonna I'm gonna share that uh, anecdote. Yes, I, yes. He was lovely. He's he a great he's guy. Retired. A great guy. He yeah. just retired uh, from the state senate, but he's still in the funeral parlor business. Uh, interestingly enough, hey, um, I saw that your your nemesis Ben Affleck is getting rave reviews for the Dunkin' Donuts commercial that he was in uh, during the game. Uh, what did you think of that Dunkin' Donuts commercial with him and Matt Damon and uh, Tom Brady and? Jennifer Lopez. I didn't see it. I think I grabbed something to eat or I went to the bathroom. I didn't see it. No, it's a very diplomatic, uh, di- diplomatic response given given your history. The fact that he clearly is very bothered that you made a joke about him once many years ago. Yeah, it, 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 it is a bit of an overreaction. I, I always thought. Uh, I, I, I really thought. No. You know, what, what was funny is he went on the Howard Stern show and talked about it, and he said, I was at a low point. A low point. He had just made three bombs that he probably made $20 million off. Okay? So, <laughs> and he goes, and, and I watched this made for, you know, I was on an airplane, and I see this uh, piece say it's a history class. I did a little monologue thing for a history class in front of and real NYU students. And they made a joke about Gili or something, which is, not, I'm just giving, they did a Ben Affleck punchline that the audience loved. And he says, and I thought, oh, this is the low point. You know, here I am watching this made for airplane piece and they're making jokes about me and i said said boy this guy really since because first of all it was an hbo documentary and it was directed by the the late great uh um what's his p uh yeah i did the war room and he did oh rj cutler rj cutler no 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 penny baker d.a penny baker yeah he did the bob dylan no way sure 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 great stuff so he directed it. It got nominated for the, but then he said, he goes, boy, he goes, plus, I mean, he was punching down. Yeah, I don't like, I mean, and I thought to myself, in what world <laughs> would Robert Wall be punching down to Ben Affleck? Uh, in what, in what universe? That's very, <laughs> I, I said, I, really, really? Okay. You know, I'm sorry. You know, really? So by the way, he is a very good director. I cannot take that away. He is an excellent director. I don't want to... Absolutely. And by the way, people haven't seen uh, that uh, that documentary. It's really interesting, and it's a really great take on what people know uh, about American history. It's called Assume the Position with uh, Mr. Wall. It's uh, really I well done. I think that's on Max also. It I is. It, it, is I, it is indeed. Actually, I just checked while we're, while we're talking. It is on Max, and people should check it out after they finish uh, binging our list. Hey, um, one of the things that we've seen this year is that of the 100 most highest-rated television events over the past year, 90 Ninety-three of them were NFL games. The one thing that is clearly working when it comes to television ratings is football. Obviously, people have always liked football, but it seems like there's been a tremendous resurgence of interest in watching these games over the last two years. What do you attribute that to? Some people have said it's sports gambling and the legalization. Other people have said it's uh, folks being fed up with uh, what's going on in the news. Do you have a take? I think both of those are pretty good, actually. I think, remember, sports, but that's why the networks and will pay, and the media companies will pay outlandish sums for sporting events because it's it's one of the few things that you don't know how it's going to end. You know, it, you, know you can't, you know, you watch a TV show. I was going to end. Right. You, you watch anything, any TV, you know, you, you know, you know, Blue Bloods is one of my favorite shows, but I know how it's going to end every week, you know? So, uh, you know, so sports, you don't. It's one of the few things you don't. And then, yes, 
sports gambling, DraftKings, FanDuel, BetMGM. I mean, it's, yeah, gambling, of course. Of course. You know, um, last time we spoke, it was right before the Major League Baseball was rolling out all these new rules. Now, not only do they have the uh, universal DH in both leagues, you got the pitch clock, you have the ghost runner on second base. Now that the baseball fans, and and I guess now that it's February, pitchers and catchers are going to be reporting to spring training soon. A lot of us that are diehard baseball fans, our mind immediately goes post-Super Bowl into baseball mode. Uh, Now that the fans have had some time to sit with the rules for a season, see how they've worked out. What do you think? How do you think the rule changes in Major League Baseball have worked out? I think every one of them has been great. Every single one. Even the ghost runner? Yeah, I'll tell you why. Nobody wants extra innings. Nobody does. The networks don't want it because it it goes over and they have to give give backs for money and advertising for other shows. The announcers don't want it. They want to go home. The managers don't want it because a 15-inning game could throw, could throw his, uh, pitching, his staff. pitching staff yeah. out for a week, right? The people who work the operations of the stadium don't want it. they got to hang out. Concessionaires are already gone, so they, uh, the, uh, the people who work your parking lots don't want it. They have to work later. Nobody, and nobody wants it. Actually, and especially who doesn't want to watch it is the fans. They'll tell you this BS, but the fact of the matter is viewership goes down during extra innings, Mm. and the next time you say, oh, you watch a 15-inning game, and you see how many fans are in in the stand. You can count them on a hand. Nobody wants extra innings. So you want to play the one inning in the postseason? One or two. Okay, but nobody wants it. What what would make this season so great? There was action. There was action going on. You had to put the ball, you get throw the ball. I love every one of them. Uh, let me end with this because we're also in uh, award show season as well. People may not know this about you, but uh, you've written or co-written the Academy Awards telecast several times. I think you've won a couple of Emmys for doing that. Where SAG Awards are coming up, and obviously the Academy Awards are right around the corner. You know, what, this is one of those things where obviously people know that the uh, host or the presenters are telling jokes. I, I think they assume someone writes them, but I don't think most people who are not in the business of this kind of thing think about the production that goes into writing and producing something like the academy awards telecast how much of a challenge is that is it something that is incredibly difficult is it something that's very easy is it something that's in between you know it's funny that's the first time in all the years that's the first time somebody has asked me about what goes into the production of the telecast Hmm. You know, no one ever has to talk about winners and losers. They talk about the monologue. They talk about everything else or who's saying what. what. But they didn't ask about what goes into the production of the telecast. Uh, It's big. It's really big. There's a lot of people going there. You know, here's the thing about when I was writing on the Oscars. We do so many things in in my business, not any business perhaps, especially a creative thing, where most of your work is never seen. You know, you can make a movie and it bombs in a week, or even if it doesn't matter, it, it's not seen, it doesn't get released. Uh, you might do some theater in a couple, but you know, but most of your work is never really seen by, if you're lucky to have a hit like I had Batman, okay? So that's something, but most of the time it's not seen. You know when you're working on the Academy Awards, at least back then, the next day, you could, people are going to be talking about it. Right. You know, right. Win, lose, or draw. Win, lose, or draw. Oh, yeah. The uh, Now, the other thing, what goes into it, first of all, 
we were very fortunate to have the producer then was a guy named Gil Cates, a great guy, theater director and a great producer, uh, Gil Cates, who was the uncle of Phoebe Cates, the actress married to Kevin Klein. Oh, sure. OK. Yeah. And again, I was working with Billy Crystal. So, you know, it was Billy's first time doing it, and it was just the two of us. Um, there's going to be an – I don't want to leak anything, but there's going to be a, an article in the New York Times, I think, this week uh, about writing for the Academy Awards with the host and the different things you have to deal with. Uh, but the, not, that's a different story. That's the writing of the awards. The production is something else because you've got to figure out who's presenting, who's presenting with whom, where are they putting the people in the audience, Who's on what camera? What do you got to be prepared for? Where are the film packages? Is the in memoriam segment locked yet? Is you know there's so many different things uh, going on. But when Billy and I did it, it was just they had three guys writing the straight part of the show, the presenter stuff. But it was just me and Billy. That was it. It was just <laughs> I just saw they now have 21 writers this year. Wow. And, and I don't know that you could say that the entertainment i mean we'll see what happens this year and i hope it's great but i don't think now compared to 1990 or 1991 you could say that it is 24 or 21 times better than it was just uh, when it was just uh, the two of you so uh, that is interesting uh robert i really always enjoy chatting with you thank you so much for the insight on the game and uh being willing to stroll down memory lane on some of this other stuff appreciate it okay uh, thank you very much had a great time it's good to have missed, missed you if you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, you're welcome to give me a call, 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight, straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Smile, an everlasting smile. A smile can bring you me to me. Don't ever let me find you gone Cause that would bring a tear to me This world has lost its glory Let's start a brand new story now, my love Right now, there'll be no other time Six minutes until the top of the hour. This is The Other Side of Midnight. These are the Bee Gees. Uh, love, love, love the Bee Gees. Uh, one hit after another. I mean, that's a halftime show that I'd be into, the Bee Gees. All right. Hey, uh, we're going to get back to your calls in a moment. 800-848-9222. That's uh, 800-848-9222. So we're in, we're in church yesterday. We try to go, you know, whenever we can. And the, you know, it's always tough with my son who's two years old because he doesn't always have the attention span to sit through a church service. So sometimes he likes to run around. Sometimes he likes to make noise. 
And there, so either my wife or me will have to entertain him if he gets bored at times. You know what it's like if you've had a child in uh, in church. So one of the things I like about our church is they have a corner that's meant to be a kid's corner. And there's toys in there, and we bring some of our own toys. There's a coloring book in there. And so sometimes if Carmine will get, is getting bored with some of the, you know, one of the sermons or something, either myself or my wife will go in the corner there with him and we'll play for a few minutes. And then after he's gotten a few minutes of energy out, we'll go back and sit in the main section. And nobody really seems to mind. I, I think because the congregation, for the most part, is so old that they like, and they've told us this, they like seeing, you know, young people there. And even if the young person is two years old, they view that as kind of the future of the uh, of the church. So anyway, yesterday, I, uh, I'm i in the main section. My wife takes Carmine into the corner to play with the, his cars. My wife comes back to me about 10, 15 minutes into the service, and she said this woman who also had a baby, looked like she had a, baby, a child, about three years old, and I was happy to see that because a lot of times we don't see anyone else his age. Today was a little, or yesterday was a little different because there was also a baptism there. So there were, you know, one or two more younger people. So my wife turns to me and says, this woman who's here with me is in the wrong church. She doesn't speak any English. The other church, she walked here. She doesn't have a car. I'm going to drive her to the other church. It's two minutes away. Can you stay here and watch Carmine? So, sure, and immediately, as soon as she walks out the door, he starts crying. Shocking, starts crying. And so I pick him up. I said, okay, bud, do you want to you go for a little walk outside? Yes. Okay, we go for a little walk outside, and there's a, there's, some, uh, there's a graveyard out there, but with some very ornate tombstones and um, other, other memorials. And he'll, he'll say, let's go see Jesus. Let's go see Jesus. Now, he calls Mary's statue... He calls it Jesus for whatever reason. So I, I, I guess m- myself or my wife has told him that it was Jesus' mom. So we go and see Mary, and we're out there a few minutes, and he's calmed down, and he's cool. I said, do you want to go in and see the baby be baptized? And then we go in, we see the baby be baptized, and he was fine. So anyway, my wife comes back, and this woman spoke no English, no English. And she said, she pointed to an address or a name on her phone to my wife. And she said, a key, a key, meaning is this here? Is this here? No, it's not. It's a wrong church. It was nearby, but my wife drove her and she was very, um, you know, very uh, grateful to my wife because she didn't speak the language. Turns out she is a migrant living in a migrant shelter and was totally confused about where to go. Uh, But I thought that was nice that my wife went out of her way to help this lady and uh, get her to where she needed to go. And it turns out she has a a second small child and uh, she's going to drop off some of Carmine's older stuff for him today. So um, I imagine we're going to be seeing more of this, more migrants that are in our area. I think this is going to become a common occurrence. Your influence counts. Use it.
This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com. 